Hey there, this is Mike and you're listening to Feeling Twisty. I'm really glad you're here. Most of the people that I've talked to who have been studying Neville Goddard fall into two camps. Those who love that he uses the Bible so much and those who are turned off by it. I understand both sides. Having grown up in church, I had my own concept of what the Bible was based on how it was taught to me. Primarily, It was uh, an historical account of the creation of the world and the history of God's chosen people. But the writers of those uh, scriptures that eventually became the Bible tell us that it's full of hidden sayings, parables, allegories to teach deeper truths. If you have your Bible or Bible app with you, look at Psalm 78. It reads like a history lesson of the Hebrew people going from Jacob to the enslavement and freeing of the Israelites from Egypt, to their forgetting the God who freed them, and then remembering and repenting, and then ending with the fulfillment of God's promise, David, the shepherd. But if you notice, the first couple of verses tell us that this isn't a literal history. O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. At the beginning of the New Testament, there's a long section that shows the lineage of Jesus. We called it the begats. This one begat this one, and then that one begat that one, and then begat and begat, yada, yada, yada. I hated reading that part, even though my Sunday school teacher insisted that God wanted me to memorize it. (laughs) So I was taught that the begats prove that Jesus was related to David and Abraham. And I, I, I do believe that now, absolutely, just not in the way that it was taught to me. The writer of the book, or the writer of that Psalm, 78, tells us that the stories are parables handed down from generation to generation. And Paul, in Galatians chapter 4, says the same thing. He says the story of Abraham having two children, one with Hagar and the other with Sarah, is an allegory. It says, it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave and one by the free woman. The son by the slave woman was conceived the normal way, but the son by the free woman was conceived through a promise. These things are an allegory. The women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to slave children. This is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And she corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem because the city is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. One son is the physical, the sense person, the sense man, or sense woman. The second son is spiritual, its imagination. We are all Ishmael, the son of Hagar, born into slavery to this world thinking we're separate and apart from God, but freedom is found through the spiritual son, imagination. The Jerusalem from above that Paul is talking about is within us, our imagination, our awareness of being. All of the characters in the Bible are states of consciousness within each one of us. If you read the verses, putting yourself as the central character in every story, I know you'll begin to see the beauty of what's written there. 
This is not a history book for those uh, or for a chosen group of people. If those scriptures had been written in our time, instead of thousands of years ago, the people and places and the stories would be completely different because our frames of references are different. People today teach the same message that consciousness is the only reality, but they use different ways of expressing it. If the Bible were written today, we'd see references to those things and maybe a little bit of Star Wars and Doctor Who. <laughs> well, at least I would use them. And I'd throw a little bit of Star Trek in there in the gospel according to Mike. Turn with me now to the second chapter, the third verse of the book of Feeling Twisty. Hallelujah. <laughs> Those who wrote the books that were collected into what we call the Bible were doing the same thing in their own way, teaching this eternal truth using metaphors that they're familiar with. It seems so foreign to us now, trying to interpret what they're saying, and it really muddies the water if you try to take it literally. That being said, I love going back through the Bible, knowing that it is imagination speaking to imagination. The story of Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land or to the promised land is a beautiful story of the mind. Moses means to draw out, to be born, and that is the state of consciousness within all of us. When we first realized that what we thought of as an almighty God outside of us, El Shaddai, is really our own awareness of being. When Moses finds God on the mountain, the mountain that is within us, we ascend that mountain into our own imagination. And that's where we find God as our awareness of being. God tells Moses to free his people, telling them that his name is I Am. And Israel is each one of us. It means to rule as God. So tell everyone that God is their own awareness of being, their imagination. That's where freedom is. Neville describes Moses as the seed that must die so it can erupt as Joshua, which is Jesus. Both mean Jehovah saved. And Jehovah is just the anglicized name for the self-existent one. I am. On the level most people prefer to talk about, the promised land is whatever those things are that you want in life, health and wealth, security, love, and you find fulfillment of those desires by turning to the only God, your I amness. In the lecture, A State Called Moses, Neville says, the Torah is a discussion between Jehovah and Pharaoh, or faith and doubt. You must have faith of assumption that you are the man you want to be in order to become it. Your desires will never come to pass if you believe the denials displayed by your reason and outer senses. As you walk in the assumption that your desire is fulfilled, you are calling upon the name of God and conjuring that which you are assuming. You must dare to assume wealth if that is your objective. If you desire health, you must assume it, even though the doctor's reasoning world produces proof to the contrary. You must be ever aware that they are not your God, that there is only one God and His name is I Am. When you point to another as an authority in your world, you're transferring the power that belongs to God to an idol. Now, if you're calling for anything with the name of God and His name is I Am, and you say I Am, are you not your own maker? This power isn't only in use when we decide to get something. It is the very essence of who we are. 
each one of us is God because God is the word that's been used in place of I am. I cannot stop being aware of being something. If you write to me and tell me I'm broke or I'm lonely or I'm sick, that's God saying I'm broke, I am lonely, I am sick. If I feel like I need to get online and rant about conspiracies or secret government agendas, that's God doing that too. I'm not saying there can't be conspiracies and hidden government agendas. There are infinite states through which we travel, so I'm sure there are some states of conspiracy and hidden agenda. I'm not going to judge. There are infinite states through which we all travel. But if I want to experience something different, I must turn within, not rant online. Neville goes on to say, whatever I want, I must assume the full responsibility for it. If I want to conjure health and the doctors tell me I cannot overcome my illnesses and I believe them, I have made my choice and must accept responsibility for it. But if I dare to assume health, God is proclaiming it, for he has no name other than I am. This is the grand revelation found in the third chapter, the 14th verse of Exodus. Go and tell them, I am has sent me to you. Whatever you declare is, for God's name is any form of the verb to be, whether it is I am, I was, or I will be. The story of the journey of the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt into the promised land is full of troubles. There were times when they grumbled and complained and began to doubt they made the right decision to follow I am. There were times that they said they'd rather go back to the life of bondage because, well, at least they got a place to live and food to eat. So what if they had to be slaves? And I've done that too. I've doubted. Maybe the things in my life weren't brought about by my imagination. Maybe they would have happened anyway. Maybe I should go back to relying on things outside of me, the government, church, other people's opinions, the conventional wisdom of the day. That's what the people of Israel did. They broke free from the bondage of the senses and followed Moses to the promised land. But they had moments of doubt in their I amness and were tempted to go back into the comfort of a master, an outside God. It can be so frightening at first. Oh, it was for me, realizing that my own imagination, awareness of being, is God. When I realized that I am the cause of the phenomena of life, it was profoundly liberating and disturbing. To realize that I have no one to blame for the troubles in my life, that it was always myself, was maddening. And then the sudden realization that it will be up to me and me alone to change it. That was equally maddening. What? It's up to me? Look at how I've screwed it up. Obviously, I shouldn't have, take, I shouldn't have this responsibility. <laughs> Come on. But I do. And the only way to change my life is to change what I am imagining. I must change my concept of self if I am to break free of the bondage of my current state. Neville says, the only God who will bring you out of slavery is I am. While enslaved, assume I am free and have the courage to continue worshiping the only God, for there is no other. God did not promise life without peril because you are capable of falling back into former states of consciousness. 
thinking you may have made a mistake, you can again bow before man-made icons and go to church on Sunday mornings. So Moses leads you to the promised land, but he cannot take you in. This you must do by yourself. Moses is the pattern in germinal form that erupts as Jesus, as I am, this awakened imagination. I must assume that my desire is fulfilled if I'm going to experience it in the physical world. I can't keep reacting to my spouse and getting angry at them, blaming them for my problems if I want to experience a loving relationship. I must be love to experience it. I cannot continue blaming the government or my employer for keeping me down. I must turn to the only one who can save me, my imagination. If I'm still holding on to something outside of me, in case this doesn't work, then I'm going to fail. I'll be back sucking on the teat of religion or the government or social media, totally forgetting, going to sleep again. I don't need to consult a minister or any of my friends on Facebook. I need no validation from anyone. I don't need to get into hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to pay for college degrees that the world says are the only way to get ahead. I don't have to do anything the way tradition, society, my Facebook friends say it must be done. The only thing I need to do is assume that I am the person I want to be right now. Right now. God's name is any form of the verb to be. So if I continue going through my days and nights saying, I will be financially free or I will be in love one day, then that is exactly what I will continue to perpetuate. My financial freedom will always be just over there. Oh, I'm so close. I can almost touch it. Uh, it's gone again. <laughs> One day. When I first heard this kind of stuff, I wondered how could I maintain that feeling of already being healthy if I'm right now feeling symptoms? How can I stay in that state of my wish fulfilled? And I'd start to doubt myself. I would think maybe I am still putting it in the future. One day I'll be healthy. Well, for me, the fact that I was doubting and wondering those things told me that I was not in the state of it already being true. If I assume that my wish is fulfilled and I am truly dwelling in that state, then my reactions to events in my life are different than they were when I was in the former state. Neville says that the state I most often return to becomes my dwelling place. The more often I return to it, the more comfortable it becomes. It becomes natural to me. I naturally move through my days in that state. Liz from Kenya asked me about that the other day. Hey Liz, when I have any desire and I assume the feeling of its fulfillment, at that moment, everything around me denies what I have assumed to be true. That's what led me to wanting something different in the first place. So I don't freak out when I look around and my senses tell me that it's not true. That's the whole reason I wanted it to be true in the first place, because of what I'm currently experiencing. So I bring up that same feeling, that feeling of fulfillment. Every time I notice that I'm imagining something contrary to what I want, Every time I notice, every time I notice, 
When I started to worry, I used to run to Facebook or another lecture from Neville or some other teacher, assuming I had to learn something else. Oh, I'm having doubt. I must not be doing something right. But I didn't need to do that. I only had to get back into that feeling of my wish fulfilled and bring it up again and again until that feeling, that state of mind, became my natural state, my dwelling place. If I have a desire, I ask myself, how would I feel right now if I were already that? I imagine already being that or having that thing. And as I'm imagining being or having that, that feeling that comes up is the new state of mind. It is my state of mind where that wish is fulfilled. And I feel this moment how I would feel if it were true. Now, throughout my day, I stop and ask myself, what am I imagining right now? And it's funny, the times I do stop to ask myself that question is when I'm imagining my wish isn't fulfilled. And that's perfect. I seize that moment and get back into the state of my wish fulfilled, back into the feeling of it already being true. And I do it every time I notice that I'm imagining my wish isn't fulfilled. And it does become natural. And I experience it in the shadow world, this physical world. And when it worked the first time, I repeated it for something else and again and again. And then I know beyond any doubt that my own imagination is the God spoken of in the Bible. Neville talked a lot about what he calls the promise. He taught that the Bible not only tells us about the law of assumption, that we can be and have everything we want in life, like Mark eleven twenty four says, whatever you ask for in prayer, be believing you have received it and you will. But he also taught about a pattern hidden in the scripture, a pattern that has signs that tell us who we really are, that the Father, the I Am, is each one of us, God-fragmented, individualized, but still one. The unfolding of the promise, the resurrection within the skull, the birth of the child, David calling you Father, and the descent of the dove are the signs that Neville experienced. And he taught that others may experience something a little different, but the parallels are the same. This remembering that we are the one Father, dreaming this dream of life, will be experienced by all. Now, I don't think everyone will experience the exact same visions, the same signs, the exact same way that Neville did. I didn't, not exactly the same. But I do know, beyond any doubt, that each one of us will experience a series of mystical events after which full memory returns, and each one of us knows, beyond any doubt, we are all one. We are the ones spoken of in the 82nd Psalm. I hereby declare you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you, but you will die like mortals. You will fall down like any prince. And Jesus, that state of awakened imagination, quotes that verse in John chapter 10. We're not stoning you for any good work, said the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, you, who are a man, declare yourself to be God. And Jesus, remember, these are states of consciousness with all of us. Jesus replied, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, 
and the scripture cannot be broken, then what about the one whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world? How can you accuse me of blasphemy for stating that I am the Son of God? And that is each one of us. I know that scripture will be fulfilled in every person. I'm not talking about the exact biblical imagery. We all have different frames of reference. I mean this awakening. We fall asleep as Abraham with the promise, then awaken as Jesus, knowing the truth of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear you who rules as God, that's you and me. The I am, our I am, is one I am. I love you. This is Feeling Twisty. 